0: Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Father, thank you for the privilege of studying this wonderful book in the New Testament written to a a group of folks that struggled a little bit with their direction, purpose, and even life. And I thank you that uh, as we understand today, as we study it, uh, thank you, Lord, that it has so much to say to us about our own purpose in life, our love for people. And we pray that as we spend time in the Word that we would be encouraged to love saints, to love sinners, uh, to love those who need Christ, and to do so in a way that's passion, full of passion and purpose. Lord, I thank you so much for Paul's example to us. And today I pray that we'd be good learners, that we'd walk away with something that we could use and take in our lives this week in a practical way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, we are studying, of course, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. Last time we were together, we discovered that Paul used the phrase, I became all things to all men in order that I might win some. Look at verse Verse uh, 22 of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. And I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now what did that mean? We talked about that last time. Certainly it didn't mean he became wicked or vile to win the Gentile pagans. That doesn't doesn't square up with the rest of Scripture, and Paul's not asking us to do that. And certainly it didn't mean that Paul was uh, preaching a righteousness by the Mosaic code, in order to win the Jew. Paul didn't do that, didn't mean that. And last time we were studying this passage of Scripture, we understood that what it did mean is that Paul did everything in his power to relate, to understand to those he ministered to, wherever they were, their customs and their culture. In fact, Paul, we found out, could quote the Greek poets when he was in that part of the world. And secondly, it meant, just by way of reestablishing where we've been, it meant that Paul limited the expression of his personal freedoms in order not to offend those with sensibilities or sensitivities in the area in which he ministered. In fact, he would tell us, or he would, uh, he would go on and, and 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 he would let us know that he would give up some things. He would he gave up. Uh, let me catch up with my slides here. He gave up meat offered idols. Remember that it was great meat, the best in the market, but because of the conscience, the weak conscience of some. He said, I'm not going to eat that while I'm in Corinth, at least, or those uh, are effective. He gave up his right to marry. He could have married as other apostles, but uh, for the sake of the ministry, and Paul's not asking everybody to do that, but he personally did not. He gave that right up, and then the right to be, of course, recompense for ministry. These are things that he gave up. And of course, this uh, whole idea that Paul was giving up uh, Certain privileges and rights that he had, he did that so that he might minister effectively and win others to Christ. Four times in verses 19 through the end of the chapter, we see a little phrase. He says, It is my goal by what I do that I might win folks to Christ. He didn't forget his purpose. Let's read these verses. Let's go ahead. We've read some of them. Let's begin with verse 23. He says, This I do, uh, the giving up of certain things, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. I am excited that you would join the circle of believers in heaven because of my witness to you. Verse 24. This is really the theme. We're to run to win. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but only one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. I've entitled this message, Run to Win. And every man that striveth for the mastery, especially in athletics, is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. In those days, it was just a little wreath that they put upon the head of those that were victors. But we are striving for an incorruptible crown. Verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, the idea is boxing there, not as one that just beateth the air or shadow boxes, but I keep under my body, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This is a wonderful reminder to us that we are to run to obtain Paul says, again, my goal is to win lost people to Christ. Paul was an evangelist, and he was always concerned about winning others to Christ. A question for all of us here at Bible Baptist Church is this, how concerned are we about the life, the souls of other people? It's a great reminder to a church that's kind of like ours, established, been around for a while, and we've been on this road, Mount Carmel Road, for a number of years, started Backaways, uh, even before that, and a couple other places. Browns Mill Road, there at Riverside. Uh, Riverside. Is it Riverside? River? Dale. River. Dale. Dale, thank you. I better get up there once in a while. But uh, the church has made some moves before it got here, but we've been here for a good while. And I wonder, how well do we care about our community? Paul was very much in tune to relating well to those within the circle of his community in Corinth. He wanted to do everything he could to win those to Christ. Verse 19, that I might gain the more. Verse 21, that I might gain them that are without the law. Verse 22, that I might gain the weak, that by all means I might save some. Verse 22, and I, I wonder how many people do we know on this road, Mount Carmel Road? How many do we know? Well, we know Joe and Hallie. They live in that little greenhouse right there. We know them. We know Vivian and Georgette. We know them. They're not far down the road, and we may even know Brian Black and his family. They live in. The, we just about own that frontage right there. But we'll go a little farther. Well, I guess we know Dead and Francie too. But I wonder how many of you know the the pastor's name at Liberty. Hill Baptist Church? And what about the principal or the, or the administrator at Creekside? What about the principal at Mount Carmel Elementary? What about the council chairman there, the city of Hampton? Who is your state representative? What's the name of the manager of the dollar store there on 81, the lady that cuts your hair? Have you ever written a note to the policeman here in town or the fireman? When's the last time you invited somebody to have a meal in your house that didn't look like you, have the same skin color as you? And Paul is trying to remind us in this contemporary setting, Bible Baptist Church, do we really love those God has placed us around? Paul said, I do everything within my power to know well the culture, the people I'm in, so that I can relate to them in order that I might share the gospel with them. So that we become part of the family of Christ. Wow. He says this. I I, I want to know people around me. I've made myself the servant of all that I might win some. Many of our school parents at Bible Baptist Christian School need a good church to attend. And God is calling you, he's calling me to enter into their lives by some means, by all means, that they might be drawn to Christ. We can get lazy, can't we, about what we're to be about, the lives of those around us. Well, all that was what I call a before the message message. We're still on the runway, so you can start timing me now, all right? But that was where we were with Paul's heart last time we were together. And so this morning, it's about running to win, How appropriate is that with the Olympics? The Winter Olympics, of course, is upon us. And I don't know uh, if (laughs) you're aware of this, but um, there in the area in which Paul was ministering to the Corinthian church, of course, he's writing this letter five years post the time he was there, but they were known for uh, one of two athletic festivals. Now, these began even 3,000 years ago. But one was the Isthmian Games, and it was not far from Corinth, right there, where Paul had started his church, with the help of God, and a few others that were there. But this was a, every uh, two years, there would be a, a gathering of athletes from all over Greece. You had to be a citizen of that area uh, to participate. And they would come, and they would train for 10 months prior to this uh, athletic festival, It was intensive training, and so really we're connected right now in terms of our own time with, I don't know if you've been following any of these things, um, in terms of the Winter Olympics. The Olympics started way back yonder, way back when, when Paul was still ministering And So he uses that, he plays off this idea in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. He says this, there's all kinds of runners around here, and fighters, and athletes, and they're all trying to win a prize, verse 25, and they're striving for mastery in all things, and they're doing it to win. In those days, it was just a little wreath of leaves uh, sewn together, placed upon the head of the winner, and then he says, so, so I'm running, and I'm not doing this without purpose or intensity, passion and desire, or plan. And I'm fighting, and and I'm serious about this, just as an athlete is very serious about what he does or she does. I keep my body under, I discipline myself. And the last little word in chapter 9 is this, lest I would be a castaway, is what the... King James says, the Greek word has to do with someone who is disqualified. Did you know that Paul's greatest fear was to slip away from effective service for the Lord by reason of his casual or careless attitude in service? Are you all in? Christian walk? Or are you playing the game, shadow boxing, just every once in a while to make an appearance? You show up at the track. Paul says, I am so serious about the heavy weight that God has called us to that I don't play games with God. The one thing I want more than anything is that at the end of my life I would be rewarded for the service that will be from the time he called me till the time he calls me home. That I would not be set aside, disqualified, and disapproved the final day when God passes out rewards. When I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. Now, what does it mean to be disqualified. Paul's using terms here that we're very familiar with. In fact, if you've been following much of the Olympics, you know that there have been some that have faced this disqualification to some degree or another. Uh, we know that this little gal by the name of Michaela Schiffert, a great decorated uh, alpine skier uh, for the women's U.S. team, has struggled. In fact, there was hopes that when she came to, uh, to ski in the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, that she would perhaps win even five gold medals. Well, at least five medals. Her first two outings, she was disqualified because she failed to stay within the confines of the course. You say, what in the world? Here in, here in uh, Georgia, we're not too big in uh, you know, the giant slalom. I don't know where we could go to even practice uh, in this state at least. But for those of you who are wondering what that is... It simply means zigzagging down a big snowy hill, and so she had to stay within the gates or the flags, and she didn't. Both races, she was favored to win. She went off the course, and so she was disqualified, and she sat there after the second, I noticed this on on the replay of this, she sat there for 10 minutes in tears, not believing that she had been sidelined because of a failure to comply with, of course, the course, Others have been struggling as well. This is a, really a throwback in history, 1912. Jim Thorpe, maybe some of you know the story. Any of you go see that Olympics in Sweden, 1912? Just checking. Um, Jim Thorpe went from our represented America, USA, and uh, he was a Native American. He won in those Olympics in Sweden, the decathlon uh, and the pentathlon, by a margin of 8, 000, over 8,000 points, the next, the next nearest competitor. And the king of Sweden, of course, awarded him his medals. And he said to um, Mr. Jim Thorpe, he said, You, sir, are the greatest athlete in the world. And uh, during those days that he was there, someone, the story is someone either stole his shoes or, or on purpose, at least hid them, where he couldn't find them. And so a teammate of his found a mismatching pair of shoes. And with these shoes, he was able to win all these events and was uh, decorated as the greatest athlete in the world. But it was later discovered that Jim Thorpe, while he was back in the States for two seasons, had played on a kind of a scrub minor league baseball team and was given $5 a week and so the Olympic International Olympic Committee disqualified him and disbarred him, disapproved him, uh, took his medals away, and so he responded by a letter to the king of Sweden. He said this, um, he said, uh, dear king, thank, uh, don't think that I, uh, ill of me, I'm only a poor ignorant Indian boy. And I did not think that uh, taking $5 a week for playing ball on a village team made me much of a professional, but he went there and for at least a hundred years, they've been debating whether to return the medals or, and I think on the books, he is now a co-winner of that uh, particular year that he competed, but he was disqualified under the cloud of doubt, disapproved by reason, some would say of prejudice uh, for his native Background as a Native Indian here in America. There is also uh, some uh, question about this gal that's been skating for Russia, and there's uh, she is the first ever to land a quad, where you jump up in the air off your ice skates and you spin four times and you land. She's the first female ever to do that, and she won, or at least she was uh, the winner of that competition. But later, I think they're still debating what to do with her. Uh, it is, was discovered that there was a substance when she took a blood test, um, a, a, a medicine in her bloodstream that could have aided her uh, in a bit. And I guess Russia has been disbanded already from this Olympics for these kinds of what they call uh, performance-enhancing drugs. So it was a little surprise. So they're still trying to but disqualified because of something she ingested. Paul's not speaking about... a a bobble or a fumble or a skill problem. He's talking about standing before the ultimate judge of all the earth. And there he is saying, I do not want to arrive before the, um, not Olympic committee, but before the committee in heaven, before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge my life based on his calling, his design and designation for my life. As a, an evangelist, as a preacher, and as a, a Christian, I don't want to arrive there and be disqualified, set aside in my life. When I've preached to others, verse 27, I don't want to be a castaway. Paul could have been and was truly uh, considered a gold medal Christian by any thought, every stretch of the imagination he was. He was a decorated believer. He was not only a called apostle, the gift of healing. He wrote half of the New Testament. Some have said that Paul has, by this time, or at least by the end of his life, started some 30 churches. He accomplished much in the name of Christ, was able to escape a a jail because of an earthquake earthquake that God sent. He was able to raise a man from the dead, he was a, a, a towering talent in terms of his spiritual walk with the Lord, and yet he was afraid that he would end the life, his life, and be disbarred or dis, disbanded or disqualified. And I'm wondering, what is the greatest fear of your life Christ, as a Christian? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, we did wonderful things, and they're not even a Christian. And God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Paul's not worried about losing his salvation. He is worried most about being dis- losing his effectiveness. And so he gives up many things for the call, the discipline of running the race of the Christian life in such a way that God would be honored through his life. He said, I make myself the servant, verse 19, chapter 9, of all that I may... Gain more souls. So let's take a look this morning, the time remaining, Paul's example of self-discipline. Paul's example, I run. I run to win. In a sense, he's not worried about losing his salvation, but he wants to win certain things. I want to win the awards, the rewards that Christ has for me as a believer. Not a corruptible crown, but an incorruptible crown. Tonight, I suppose uh, they say there's a football game, and I know for a fact um, that after they go to church, they're going to get together and play this football game there in California. I don't know that they'll go to church, but I'd like to see you in church tonight. It's okay. and, and I'm sure that as they gather on that football field, they're not going to flip a coin and say, it doesn't matter too much who wins this thing. How about we just not declare a winner? Let's... Set the trophy aside and let's just play for some good times. Exercise. How about that? No winners tonight? Let's just have a good game and enjoy the exercise. No, they've had this long season by which they finally come. The two best teams in football. National Football League is coming together to determine who's going to be the winner. And they're doing that for a corruptible crown. The Greeks were running, boxing, competing to win a laurel. A wreath symbolized victory. It was a perishable wreath made of leaves that wilted by the end of the day. But it was a huge sacrifice to their life to be there. And when they won, just like today, there's this notoriety. that There's fame that follows the winner. They knew that. And so they worked hard for a corruptible crown. I relate a little bit to that when I was... In high school, all I cared about was the corruptible crown. Really, that's true. I was a miler in high school, and some of you know this. I've said that, I've told that story before, but that's all I cared about, really, uh, in high school. I certainly tried my best to get grades that would make me pass the classes, but it was all about running for me. And I would get up in the snow sleet or rain just like a mailman <laughs> and run five, six, eight miles a day, Uh, Just to to get my name up on the record board in that gymnasium of that little of that little high school Christian High School near Elbing, Kansas. I came as a freshman. I looked up and I saw the name of the one who won the mile record. His time was four forty six. It's etched in my brain. (laughs) because I would kind of stop and worship at the shrine of the track records every day on my way to school. And there it was, 446, and I just said in my little heart, Someday, Rick, your name's coming down. My name's going up there. So I would. I'd work really, really hard. I had a summer job one time. It was seven miles away. I would ride a bike there and run home. And The next day I would reverse that, and, and uh, people would see me. Why are you doing that? I said, because I want my name. Well, my senior year, Right before the state track meet, I got sick. I was on track. It was just a few seconds off, real close, closing in on it. It was probably COVID. Some pigeon from China probably flew in there. Never able in high school to accomplish. After high school, I accomplished. I beat the record. But that didn't matter. Who cares? It was a perishable crown. Isn't it amazing how much energy we put into things that don't matter? Paul would tell disciples, Timothy especially, bodily exercise profiteth, but it's a little bit. He says, I want you, Timothy, to know that there is an imperishable, incorruptible crown. How tied in are you to that? Well, Paul says you need to run like you mean it. Our prize is not perishable, it's an incorruptible. There's a day coming, right? And God will bring us before Himself and He will pass out rewards. And it's not about, as I said earlier, whether you're going to get into heaven or not. Everybody that competed in these Isthmian games had to be from Greece. The issue wasn't citizenship, nor is it uh, the issue of our salvation. Paul's not, he's talking about, I want you at the end of the day to be rewarded, acclaimed by God Himself. Well done. Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear that? Well done. You've run like you meant it. You've followed the designation. You're not a derelict in terms of what God's put you on earth for. Do you even know why God has you here? God has a calling for every believer that we would glorify Him, that we would win souls. And Paul said, I want to run like I I, I mean it. I want to run to win. Are you floating through life? guessing your way through, no purpose or passion. I I do fear that we are not striving as a church like we should for the hearts of others, working hard to love new people to Christ, to bring them to the hearing of the gospel, to have them join the fellowship of the saints, to, to see them protected for glory. That's the big thing. What are we running for, working for, striving for, fight? Have you settled down, given up? I fear that COVID has made a church a bit fearful. The church, in comparison to those in this arena of athletics, are we're just not we're not in shape spiritually, are we? Will we be ashamed standing before? the final finish line, and the final umpire of life. I do believe we are, in some ways, Christians of convenience, the unscarred warriors, the timid, the comfortable. We stay at home from church over a sneeze, a sniffle, or the threat of bad weather. I know some folks say, boy, it's great to live in northern Georgia. They get all the snow. But we get the forecast, and that keeps us out of church sometimes. We've let go of Sunday night attendance. We lose our appetite for the intensity of fighting for good causes. We no longer pray like we should. Uh, and, and our families, we say, need us. So we've got to stay out. Families kind of eclipse the real call that God has called us to meet together in the family of God. We've settled into a convenient style of Christianity. The game is more important than church, the garden, the grandkids more important to us than the prize. I press, Paul says, I don't lollygag, I press to the mark for the prize of the high calling. I wonder the first minute in heaven, how many regrets we'll have about how we ran the race. And how many excuses we had about why we couldn't serve the Lord. Our intensity is shot and shoddy when it comes to the most important thing. I don't run, he said, without purpose. I run with passion and purpose. I do because it's so important. I press to the finish line. God is there. He's standing there. My coach, Terry Tilson, used to stand at the finish line. And, and, and it didn't matter where I came in in the cross-country meets or the track meet. But if my coach was smiling at the end and he said to me, Regeer, you gave it all you had. I'm proud of you. I, 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 could, I could handle it. But if I knew that I hadn't given my best... There was something in me that just wasn't right till I had an opportunity to redeem myself the next track meet. And that was Michaela Schifford's thing. She says, I just know that I didn't give my best. I didn't have a chance to prove that. It's disappointing, isn't it? Paul didn't say I run to please my wife or my pastor or even my track coach. He didn't put people on a guilt trip. No, he was excited to give his best for the Master because of grace, because of Calvary, because of what Jesus meant to him. He says, I want to give my life as a sacrifice to the Lord. Pressing for eternal rewards. Pastor, what kind of rewards are they? I run for what? Paul says, I run for an incorruptible prize. What are they? It's the crown. It's an incorruptible crown. Do you know the Bible mentions five crowns, four or five crowns that you can win? There's, the Bible is full of the promise of rewards. Are you aware of that? What are you fighting for, striving for, enduring for? Paul speaks in 1 Thessalonians 1.19 of the crown of souls. He says of the Thessalonians, in fact of the Corinthians, he would say that as well. What is our crown of rejoicing? Are not ye in the Lord? Will you arrive in heaven one day without a single soul that you have influenced and mentored to Christ? The crown of souls. 2 Timothy 4, there's the crown of righteousness. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness uh, not only to me, but to everyone that loves his appearing. The crown of righteousness. James 2 speaks about the crown of life. You endure a temptation for those that have patience, long patience under long term difficulties that, that, that respond well to the, to the trials of life. God says, I've got a crown waiting for you. crown to those that Endure persecution. First Peter 5 talks about the crown of glory. Faithful shepherds will receive a crown of glory that will never fade, that fadeth not away. If they're faithful in their service, there is a crown of glory. Paul's greatest fear was not that he would lose his salvation, but that he would lose his reward and be sidelined, set aside, a dakamos, disapproved disqualified, again a picture of the athlete that steps out of bounds or breaks a rule or simply settles into complacency. Spiritual listlessness leads to lustfulness, which leads to loss of responsibility. And listen carefully, dear church. A Christian that is out of, that's a derelict according to God's design and duty, can not only be put on the bench... Are you listening? They can lose their life. Why would God long term let us play around with sin and run like we don't mean it, 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 run without purpose or passion? Why would God allow us to occupy space on earth if we are not doing what he called us to do? And these folks knew it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 says, There are some of you, that are sick by the judgment of God. Some of you have fallen asleep. That doesn't mean in church, so wake up if you're getting there. It means you have passed away because of the judgment, prematurely passed away because God said, I'm tired of you playing the game and not doing what I've designed you to do, and so you've, you've taken it too far. Because... You're hiding a life of sinfulness. Not only is there the discipline in chapter 5 of that one that got set aside, cast out of the church because of his life of immorality, but he says, some of you in the church have been so adamant in your disobedience that I have removed your little candlestick. Not, not that you've lost your salvation, but you are no longer there on the rolls because I've taken your life. Wow. Is God serious about this? so what does Paul do? He says Paul's great fear is loss of reward. So that leads us really to Paul's discipline. I punish myself to win. That's what verse 27 means. I keep my body under. Uh, That that word is interesting in the Greek. It means I punish myself. I do. When, When my body talks to me like that donut would be really good or... Why not sleep in this Sunday morning? Or why not take it easy? Why not give up? Why not coast? He says, what I do, literally it says, I blacken my eye for the cause of Christ. You hear a doctor say, you've got to listen to your body. <laughs> Paul said, I don't listen to my body. Anything in me wants to take it easy. Everything in me wants to coast. Everything in me wants to do what my selfish little self wants to do. And Paul says... I can't do that. We already know that he's given up some things for the ministry to the Corinthians. He gave up, of course, money for ministry. He gave up some of these things, marriage. He's given up meat offered to idols. He says, I I say no to myself in order that the gospel might flow uninterrupted and advance into this area. I don't listen to my body. I bring it under subjection. So that I would not be sidelined by my selfishness. Paul's example of self-discipline. But then let's wrap it up with Paul's warning about self-confidence. Look at chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Now he's talking about this generation that moved from captivity into the or t- towards the promised land. There were no more a privileged group of folks than those. They were baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea. They did eat the same spiritual meat. They all did. They had the same diet, quail and manna. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual. There was a kind of a local legend among the Jews that there was an actual rock that followed the people of Israel through the wilderness, and he's saying the rock was Christ. Christ was present there. With many of them, God was not. Well, pleased. that is perhaps the greatest understatement in this chapter. How many people, think about this, how many people from that two million plus or so that left Egypt made it to the promised land? Two. Joshua and Caleb. And when Paul says, with many of them, God was not well pleased. The truth was, with very few was God pleased, right? And these things were written for our example to the extent or intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. neither need to be idolaters. Don't return to the... And that's all they could think about was all that Egypt had to offer, the idols, the food. It was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They were, they were really driven by their own passions, Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, test Christ, as some of them tested and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. All they could do was criticize the one who was providing and protecting and directing and planning and giving them the promised land. All they could do was think about where they left. Now All these things happened unto them for examples. And they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. It's already over for them. Their their skeletons are scattered across the desert sands because there's a group of people here, understand this, that are so, he says, remember chapter 10 is all about this, remember who they were. They were privileged to have Moses, this great type of Christ, the shepherd who loved them. They had this, this cloud of fire at night that warmed them and And illuminated the camp during the day. There was this cloud of uh, just a cloud over over their camp that gave them shade and directed them. The angels surrounded them. Moses gave them the law, God's design for the best of mankind. They had the best of everything. Food. Imagine, ladies, not having to go home and cook anything for lunch. It's there, manna. It's going to be there when we get home. It'll be all over the lawn. All we got to do is pick it up. And quail. When they needed it, there was the meat that they needed. They were a privileged people. He says, all of them enjoyed the same privileges, but they couldn't get Egypt and Egypt's idols out of their hearts. And all they wanted was what they left and what God spared them from. And they couldn't quit complaining about all the good things their God gave them. He says, this was written for your admonition. Remember, Israel's pride cost them everything. Only two went over into the promised land. Can you imagine if God were just to give us a spotlight on our hearts this morning? And, and where are we? Can we give God a list of 10 things we don't appreciate? And is that the only thing we chew on day in, day out? Is that what we're known for? What we don't like about our life and what we don't like about all the privileges that God has given us. He says, I, would, I want you to know, don't be unaware, chapter 10 verse 1, we, they all enjoyed that cloud. They all went, can you imagine being that first person that walked through this, this sea divided, the great miracle, the really the hallmark of the Old Testament in terms of God's might and power to walk with your kids through this divided sea to get on the other side and say, I can't believe God would do that for us and and make us go here and live in this wilderness and then start complaining. My, here he's saying, "I, I want you to know the danger of that. These things, verse 11, are written for our example and our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come, God's people. Now, church, we need to remember, we can't become overconfident or complacent about just because we are children of Brother Pyle and, and other good pastors here that, well, God's just got to take care of us. God's just got to do bless us because of who we are. No, they began to murmur and they were destroyed by the destroyer. And then we have this verse that is often misinterpreted Uh, appropriate or misunderstood that just because you're going through a trial that God is going to give you an escape hatch. Look at verse 13. There hath no temptation or trial or test, and both of these things were true of Corinth taking you, but such is common to man. In other words, believers today, believers living then, are subject to same temptations, to lust, to commit adultery, To be drawn by idols of the self. To love the culture and not Christ. And there are some that are very difficult tests. The tests that came upon this group of people because of of all the persecution. And here's what he's saying. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. You're not going through something unusual, unheard of. And here's the real... uh, Poignant mark in this verse, God is faithful, and He will not allow you or put you in a place where you face a temptation or trial that you are not prepared for by the grace of God to handle. You will not suffer above that you're able, but you will with the temptation, He will with the temptation also make a way. Now really, it's more specific that in the Greek. The way to escape. And the way is always the Lord Jesus Christ. You hold his hand. He is the one. Dependence upon him brings the sustenance and the power to go through whatever God's brought your way. The idea of chapter 10 verse 13 isn't that God is going to open some relief gate for you, some escape route where you don't have to face the trial anymore. You don't have to face the temptation anymore. One man said... If I had to run from every temptation I have to lust, I'd probably be on some island somewhere. And even there, my own sinful heart would be tempted to lust. God is faithful who will help you to rightfully, righteously endure whatever you're going through. And that's the escape, trusting and depending upon him who is faithful. He will provide the way of escape. So Paul's example of self-discipline. He ran with purpose, not uncertainty. He ran for eternal prizes, and he disciplined himself to say no to selfish impulses so that he would win the eternal prize. And then Paul's warning to us about self-confidence is this. Remember, Israel's pride cost them everything. None of that original generation, except for a handful, too, went to the promised land. And then remember, the way around testing is to go through it. God will be faithful. He is your way of escape, your sustenance. And why? Why do we train? Why do we punish ourselves? Why do we push ourselves? Why do we endure temptations? Here's why. So that in the final day, so that in the the day of judgment, as rewards are passed out for for believers at the Bema seat, we could hear... Well done. You've been a faithful servant. How do you know that you're in danger of disqualification? Chapter 10, 27. How how do you know that you're in danger of being cast aside? Well, I've put some peas down as a test for you. In regards to your own love for the church, the bride of Christ, here's some questions. Am I present? First, P, present. Secondly, am I prayerful? How much have I prayed about what God says is important? Thirdly, pocketbook. How much have I given the cause of Christ? Fourthly, am I praising or am I complaining? Fifthly, am I participating? You see, God's called you to a work. You see, if we're really not doing what God's called us to do, we're in danger then of being disqualified. And sadly, that is a dangerous place to be. And Paul says, this is my greatest fear, that I, the final analysis would be disqualified. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be engaged in what you've called us to be. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.